1: Tell Mr. Trump you want to meet him. I love you, Trump! <laughs> Nobody use any racial slurs. Nobody called me the only It's microaggressions. He does not support Mexicans, not Jews, not Muslims, not Blacks. No one but his own kind. The rich. When Trump says we'll lose our country, that's not just a, I mean, maybe
2: he's being a little extreme.
1: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the threat to civilized society known as Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. On today's show, is this the beginning of the end? Will our relatively short national nightmare and this program soon be over? Donald Trump's 13-point loss to Ted Cruz in Wisconsin capped a week-long meltdown that began with his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, being charged with battery. It continued with Trump refusing to say he wouldn't use nuclear weapons in Europe or the Middle East, and it wound up with Trump telling Chris Matthews on MSNBC that there has to be some form of punishment for women who have abortions. Pundits who underestimated Trump's potential have been a little hesitant to come out and state the obvious. Republicans have started to realize that they can't nominate Donald Trump not only because he'd be clobbered by Hillary Clinton, but because he'd drag Republicans down to defeat in other races. Women won't vote for a grotesque misogynist. African Americans and Latinos would turn out in force against an old-school bigot. So if Trump doesn't win the nomination on the first ballot, he won't win it at all. And when you do the math, it's increasingly unlikely that he can win enough delegates to win on the first ballot. Today on the show, I'll talk to E.J. Dionne, The Washington Post columnist and political analyst who has come out and said it. This time, it really is the end of Donald Trump. Really. But before we get to that Trump's tweets, wait, sorry, Trump's clammed up on Twitter. After last night's defeat, Trump went into a sulk and his feed went quiet. Either that or Lewandowski grabbed him firmly by the arm and took his smartphone away from him. All we heard out of the Trump campaign was a written concession statement a typically gracious one, I might add. And here it is, the actual statement read for you by the lovely Melania Trump.
2: Donald J. Trump withstood the onslaught of the establishment yet again. Lion Ted Cruz had the governor of Wisconsin, many conservative talk radio show hosts, and the entire party apparatus behind him. Not only was he propelled by the anti-Trump super PACs, spending countless millions of dollars on false advertising against Mr. Trump, but he was coordinating with his own super PACs, which is illegal, who totally control him. Ted Cruz is worse than a puppet. He is a Trojan horse being used by the party bosses attempting to steal denomination from Mr. Trump. We have total confidence that Mr. Trump will go on to win in New York, where he holds a substantial lead in all the polls and beyond. Mr. Trump is the only candidate who can secure the delegates needed to win the Republican nomination and ultimately defeat Hillary Clinton or whomever is the Democratic nominee in order to make America great again.
1: My guest today is E.J. Dion. He's a columnist for The Washington Post and a senior fellow at Brookings. He's also author of the new book, Why the Right Went Wrong, Conservatism from Goldwater to the Tea Party and Beyond. E.J., thanks for joining me on Trumpcast. Uh, thank you for having me, and congratulations on your new book as well. Oh, gosh, you didn't have to mention that. Thank you. Um, but your book is super interesting, and it's very much on, on point about Trump, and I'm going to get to it in a minute. But first, I want to just read... The opening of the column you did on Sunday, and the title of the column was This is this time it really is the end of Trump, really. And you wrote, It's time to go back to where we began. Not only that Donald Trump will lose the Republican presidential nomination, but also that he could be so weakened by the end of the primaries that his party will not even have to worry about choosing someone else. E. J., how will that happen that they won't even have to worry about choosing someone else?
0: Well, one of the reasons I wrote the column beyond the fact that I thought this was, is exactly what's happening, and obviously what happened in Wisconsin, not only Cruz's victory, but the size of the margins, suggests that indeed Trump has a problem. I also wrote it because I think too many people were getting cold feet about what they thought about Trump in the first place. that Their view that Trump was utterly unprepared to be president, that he was making it up as he went along that a majority of the country would not respond to this appeal built in part around uh, race and really quite uh, really racist things he said about immigration and others um that people who said that at the beginning were right but they got spooked because trump did well enough in the early primaries which is to say that in a divided field He managed to win a lot of them with somewhere around 35, 37 percent of the vote. And I I quoted uh, the infinitely quotable Yogi Berra, who talked about the Yankees losing to the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates in in 1960 in the World Series by saying we made the wrong mistakes. And I feel that the wrong mistake now would be to overlearn the lesson of Trump's survival. So I think all these problems with his candidacy really have come to the fore in the last couple of weeks in a very uh, dramatic way. And uh, so I wrote that column for that reason, but I also wrote it because I think Democrats had been in a particularly good mood over the prospect of running against Donald Trump, because I don't think there's any question that he would lose a general election badly. Women would prevent Donald Trump from being president. The polls have shown Hillary Clinton with leads from 21 to 27 percent over Trump. And they've got to start thinking about the idea that Trump uh, could actually fall apart much earlier than they would like, uh, which is to say between now and California. I think what we are looking at potentially uh, is another historic California primary that we had in 1964 when Barry Goldwater narrowly beat Nelson Rockefeller and took the Republican nomination and really transformed the Republican Party. Uh, We had another one in 1972 between uh, George McGovern and Hubert Humphrey. I think if Trump is losing the popular vote, uh, losing primaries, rather, at the end of this process, it becomes much easier for Republicans to push him aside uh, because his main claim, and it's not an illegitimate claim that the guy who wins lots and lots of primaries Uh, should get the nomination. That claim doesn't look as good if Trump is starting to lose primaries in the last part of the process.
1: So, E.J., why do you think the worm is turning now, finally, after Trump's been putting this toxic stuff out for months, saying outrageous things? Why has he been indulged by the voters, and you could argue by the media to some extent, until the beginning of April and then collapse?
0: Well, I think a couple of things. One is simply mechanical, which is That this is the first time that Trump is facing a narrower field, and secondly, that a lot of Republicans who really don't like Ted Cruz at all and wish uh, would like somebody else as their nominee, um, nonetheless saw Cruz yesterday and are likely to see him in some other uh, places as the person who can beat Trump. So, you know, even Lindsey Graham uh, from uh, South Carolina, who basically said that uh, no one would do much if Trump were killed on the Senate floor, turned around and endorsed (laughs) him because um, as the slogan goes uh, these days among many Republicans, they'd rather lose with Cruz in the fall than have the whole party upended by uh, Trump's uh, nomination. So I think that is part of it. Um, But I also think that, when Trump was attacking particular figures in the party, even John McCain, and you know what he said about John McCain as a POW way back when, was quite outrageous. Or when he was attacking uh, Mexican immigrants in just outrageous language, um, you know, both of those kind of fed his image as an anti-establishment guy. Or in the case of the immigration remarks, as someone speaking for uh, that wing of the Republican Party. Of late, he has done things that even people who might agree with Trump on this or that uh, can't accept. I I think going after Ted Cruz's wife um, just seems way beyond the reasonable. And again, particularly, I think, among uh, women uh, voters, I mean, there's a lot that Trump does. that's way beyond the reasonable. But I think this just really struck people. I think taking, depending on how you want to count, four or five positions on abortion within a few days just underscored in a very dramatic way that he hasn't really thought uh, very much of this stuff through. And I also think all of it came in a kind of concentrated uh, form. This was sort of Trump's unpreparedness in a concentrated form, and I really think it hit people. And lastly, a lot of Republicans are looking at these polls just like uh, political pundits are, and they're saying, my God, if we nominate this guy, we might face a disaster. And while I don't think electability is number 1 in the eyes of most voters. I think the prospect of an electoral catastrophe does affect people in the Republican rank and file, which is why Cruz in Wisconsin was able to get votes from people who probably didn't like him all that much but saw him as a better alternative.
1: So EJ if you're if you're right about Trump Going down, and I think you are. Uh, what does the what does the the fading Trump look like? I mean, injured animals are dangerous. You know, they kind of lash out and bite, and you don't want to get too close to them. And already last night, I saw the Trump statement was you know was it was classic Trump. But he said you know he accused uh, Cruz of trying to steal the nomination for him, and it was just all of this vituperation uh, that was, seemed even a little over the top even for him. But I mean, what is the what does the end look like?
0: I'm always suspicious when pundits engage in a kind of psycho babble, and I'm about to do that myself, <laughs> uh, which is it does seem to be this self destructive streak in Trump where he cannot seem to avoid. Uh, doing certain things because they are his habit. Um, you know, it was very clear early on, for example, that this war he was waging on Ted Cruz's wife that wasn't working for him, and yet he couldn't find it in himself to back away. And similarly now, there are reports of real divisions within the Trump campaign between those who had been with him from the beginning, and that statement does seem to sound like their view, which is keep doing what you're doing because it's mostly work versus others who say, you know, if he really wants this nomination, um, he's got to, uh, uh, got to make a transition. And he doesn't seem yet ready to transition to a different kind of uh, campaign. And I'm just not sure uh, that he has it in him. The question is going to be when you get to a convention, this is going to be messy even if they succeed in, even they meaning the Republican leaders, succeed in denying Trump the nomination because there clearly is a third or more of the Republican Party that is very unhappy. And just to go to my book for a moment, one of the arguments I make in the book is that uh, Republicans have relied on votes from white working class um, Americans. Uh, and really haven't given them very much uh, in return. And this is not just an argument from a liberal like me. It's an argument from people like Ross Douthat, a columnist for the New York Times, Raihan Salam, a very interesting uh, conservative intellectual who's now over at the National Review. I mean, they've warned Republicans that they faced a problem uh, from these voters. And so, you know, Trump is their revenge in a way. And while it's hard to see such voters supporting Hillary Clinton, assuming she does um, you know, survive to win the Democratic nomination. Uh, it's very easy to see them staying home. And it's at least possible that they would vote for a third party candidate. But just to go back to your original question, it is very hard to see Donald what Donald Trump is going to do. I could imagine perhaps he would be quite relieved at the end that he wouldn't uh, have to be president and might enjoy being a kingmaker at the convention. But again, that's the very psycho babble I warned against a moment ago.
1: So, so let's talk about that split you talk about in your book between the this part of the Republican base, the white working class that's supporting Trump, and call it the Republican elite. It t- turns out they don't agree on much. They don't agree on trade. They don't agree on immigration. Um, these Trump supporters aren't particularly hostile to government. They certainly don't want their benefits cut. They don't seem to be obsessed about cutting taxes for rich people people. So go beyond Trump a minute. I mean, say the party solves its Trump problem, nominates somebody else for president. But does that split continue? And does it lead to a kind of permanent division in the Republic- what's now the Republican Party?
0: I think it could. I think what you might be seeing is those voters being shaken loose, and that there is an option for Democrats to try to win some of them back. I mean, they did win. You know, people talk about Reagan Democrats, um, which, first of all, is a silly idea because the Reagan Democrats are mostly no longer with us. You know, if uh, the average Reagan Democrat from 1980 is probably around uh, 80 years old. Um, This is a new group of voters. The Democrats won back some of the Reagan Democrats in 1988 and again in even more so in 1992. But you do have this constituency that doesn't really have a home because it doesn't agree with Democrats on social issues, Uh, although younger working class voters on issues like abortion and gay marriage are actually more liberal than older working class voters. Uh, And there is clearly some reaction around race and immigration in this constituency. But on basic economic issues, they've never particularly bought into the Republican low tax on the rich agenda. I don't know if the Democrats can win them back in the short term, but I think Trump may have shaken these voters loose. And just as Wallace shook some similar voters loose back in 1968 and John Anderson in a very different way, the independent who Republican, you know, progressive Republican who ran in 1980 shook Uh, moderate Republicans loose in the 1980 campaign. So I think, I I don't know myself where this leads, but I do think that Trump has created a, a, a real potential problem for the Republican Party. And the question is, will Democrats take advantage of it or will there be a third party movement? I'm skeptical of how third parties fare in our political system, but that's For another day, we can talk about that.
1: It's also hard to imagine those Trump voters sort of falling back in line as good Republicans who would vote for, say, a Mitt Romney.
0: Right, Romney or even Paul Ryan, uh, who is, you know, uh, so so many of the Republicans would like to nominate uh, at this point. And again, uh, depending on how Trump chooses to play this, he does have a small-D Democratic a legitimacy argument if he wins enough primaries. That's why I think how this ends is so uh, important, because if he did manage to win in California, and at this point I'm a skeptic about whether the Trump operation can hold it together that long, um, but if he did, then um, he has a much stronger argument. And even in the polls in Wisconsin, you know, Republicans seem to lean toward the idea that a plurality winner ought to be the nominee and that, you know, stepping outside the existing pool of candidates would be a break from uh, the last 60, 70 years of practice and certainly a break since we moved toward uh, primaries dominating the system since 1972. So he certainly has an argument he can make if um, you know, if he can win some more
1: primaries. You, you make an argument in your book that the right has had these series of rebellions to the reality that the sort of Goldwater Revolution – of radical new vision of small government and and moving away from the New Deal didn't happen, you know. And the Tea Party was one reaction to that. You, I think, you were probably almost done with your book when when Trump happened. I mean, to what extent does he fall into the model you you were describing, and to what extent was he a surprise to you and somebody who represented something quite different?
0: Well, actually, the uh, there's a lot of Trump in my book, and at, toward the end. I suggested to my editors that they consider changing the book. Why the Right Went Wrong. The subtitle is Conservatism from Goldwater to the Tea Party and Beyond. And there is so much Trump in the book that I suggested they change the subtitle to Conservatism from Goldwater to Trump uh, and Beyond, <laughs> um, because Trump fits. So, so as I say, there is a lot of Trump in the book. Uh, the timing actually worked out well for me, and he fit into the broad argument of the book in two ways. As I said, the rebellious uh, Republican white working class was a central theme of this book from the beginning. Uh, But the other is the very first sentence of the book is the history of contemporary American conservatism is a story of disappointment and betrayal. And I argue that ever since Goldwater, uh, Republican candidates have had to make a series of promises uh, that they couldn't possibly keep. um, If I can Uh, refer to page two of the book. I quote Eric Erickson, uh, you know, who started the Red State blog, who said, "Quotes: the Republican Party created Donald Trump because they made a lot of promises to their base and never kept them. Uh, And I think this sense of disappointment and betrayal is at the heart of the modern conservative movement. I um, saved all these years a copy of A Choice, Not an Echo, a little book I picked up when I was a politically engaged kid by Phyllis Schlafly. And the whole theme of the book is, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, actually, um, you know, here are the questions on the back of that book, who really picks your presidential candidates? Why are political conventions stolen? Who are the secret kingmakers? How do hidden persuaders and propaganda gimmicks influence politics? She was arguing that conservatives had been betrayed going back to the 30s and 40s. Um, and so I think Trump, reflects this sense of betrayal on the part uh, not only of white working class Republicans but of a certain number of ideological Republicans. And by the way, the one candidate who is challenging Trump most strongly, Ted Cruz, is the Republican who most strongly represents that wing of the party. And when he attacks the Washington cartel, it's updated language from a choice, not an echo.
1: So, E.J., let me just ask you about the the role of the pundits here. And I think, uh, realistically, when people say pundit, they're thinking about you. Uh-huh. But the you know the pundits have gotten a lot of a lot of blame for not seeing Trump coming, for not predicting him, for not calling him, for not uh, estimating the full scale of it. And you said in that that piece I quoted at the beginning never mind that, that doesn't mean we should hold back now. I mean, do you think the pundits have kind of been cowed in a way that's now encouraging people to hold back from describing how much the the sort of Trump phenomenon is subsiding, basically because they slash we were so wrong before?
0: Well, first of all, since I can be fairly called a pundit, I should probably be careful about uh, uh, sweeping attacks on that class of people. I mean, I think two... Things can be true at the same time, uh, which is, on the one hand, what was right about the initial reaction to Trump is that he was a clownish kind of figure who was clearly unprepared to be president. And I think that was right then and that we are seeing that uh, uh, right now. And that if anything, um, and this has been talked about a great deal, the media went out of their way to give enormous attention uh, to Trump, he got way more free media, as we call it, than uh, anybody else. Um, and so, but I, I think that the initial impulse was correct. What what I think was missed, which is partly why I wrote this book, is that there has been a radicalization in the Republican Party and in the Republican electorate that made a candidacy like Trump possible. I think the media did underplay the deep discontent in large parts of the country and the way in which our response to globalization and technological change has really been inadequate for a very large group of Americans. There are really two groups who have been hit very hard by this economic change. One are uh, white working class men, uh, particularly older men, women too, but men even more so. And one of the most chilling uh, reports we have seen was a um, report about rising suicide rates among older uh, older men, particularly those without college degrees. They are really hurting, and if Trump does nothing else but to call our attention to this, uh, he will have done something useful for the republic. Uh, the other group hurt by deindustrialization has been. Uh, have been African-Americans in the inner city. The uh, great uh, William J. Wilson, in his great book, Uh, When Work Disappears, wrote about that a long time ago. The paradox of this election is that two groups that vote the other way and often see their interests as opposed, um, are, in fact, uh, share some of the same problems. So that is the part that was missed. And that's not just political pundits. I think journalism in general um, has really not focused on uh, how many people... Not only were hurt in this recession, this deep recession, uh, but have been hurting since at least 1980. And I hope we begin to talk constructively about what to do about that.
1: E.J. Dion is a columnist at the Washington Post and the author of Why the Right Went Wrong Conservatism from Goldwater to the Tea Party and Beyond. E.J., thanks again for joining me on Trumpcast. Uh, what a great joy. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. Tell us what you think of the show by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. And don't forget to hit subscribe while you're there to get the latest episode as soon as it releases. Hey, are you a strategic thinker who loves Slate? Come work with Slate's editors to develop plans for expanding our coverage and audience. Apply to be our director of strategy and audience development at slate.com strategy. That's slate.com strategy. Trumpcast is produced by Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Special thanks to Ava Bell, who played Melania. And today, I'll go out with a clip from The Howard Stern Show. Here's the context. I saw this on BuzzFeed yesterday. Around the time of his breakup with Marla Maples, Trump put out the story that he was dating the model Carla Bruni, who later married Nicolas Sarkozy, the president of France. Trump even called up reporters pretending that he was a PR man for Mr. Trump putting out the story. In fact, he and Carla Bruni had only met once at a charity event, and when she heard that he was putting out the story that they'd been dating, she called him an obvious lunatic. Here's Trump's version of the story on Howard Stern. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Talk to you on the next edition of Trumpcast.
0: Did you date her? Did you date her? May I say no comment? No. <laughs> I, do you, let me just say no comment. I'm trying to be a diplomat for this country. I don't want to be criticizing the first lady of France. Hey, but are you lady. shocked that this guy has fallen? So he's a uh, coxman. Um, she... I'm a little surprised, but it sounds to me like he's smitten. He's not a chess man. He's not into the world of chess. <laughs> She's flat as a board? Uh, what is she, an A cup? May be, what, what comes before A? A minus.
2: Uh, yeah, A minus. A minus anyway. cup. What comes before that? Hey, a you- dude!